Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this morning. Glad you're ready to study some Bible with us and hopefully we'll get to some of your questions today. If you've just stumbled onto the program for the first time, let me explain what we do. We answer viewers' questions, and uh, you can give us a question to answer. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Obviously, we look for answers in the Bible, uh, but that includes a lot of questions about life and current events and what's going on in the world. And uh, some people want to know what the Bible principle on those kind of things is, so we're happy to try to find you an answer from the Bible. Of course, if you've got a specific question about Bible, the Bible, what a verse means, or is this doctrine really in the Bible, we'll try to explain that to you and give you some Bible to show you where that's found. So that's what we do each week and uh, try to answer as many questions as we can. Uh, let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go here. Uh, let's start with one for our viewing audience like we always do. Uh, see if they know a little bit of Bible. Samson in the Old Testament told a riddle to some Philistines, and there was honey in that riddle. Where was the honey? That was what the riddle was about, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know that little bit of Bible information. All right, Toby, I think you got the first one, and yep. uh, let's get right to the basics here. <laughs> yep. They want to know, did God create evil? Yeah, the answer to that is no, God did not create evil. Uh, God is good, and you know, the only thing He can do is create good and produce good. And if you look at the book of Genesis, you'll see very quickly a pattern that everything that the Lord creates uh, is followed by the phrase, and it was good. Well, that's because God is good. Uh, so the question comes, well, how do we live in such an evil, broken world? And the answer to that comes in Genesis chapter 3, which tells us that man chose sin. Uh, man chose uh, to do the things which were not good, to disobey the Lord, uh, to partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And that led him on a path that led sin into the world. And as such, we live in a world that is full of sin and its <coughs> consequences. The other word we know for that is evil. We look all around us and you say, how could a good God allow such evil? Well, a good God gave us free will, which, by the way, is a good thing. Unfortunately, there's a lot of risk to it. And uh, that risk is that we can choose to do what God wants, which is good, or we can choose to not do what God wants, which is evil. Now, that's not His will, but when He gives us free will, He gives us the power to choose. <clears throat> and uh, if God had not given us or allowed the possibility to uh, choose evil, then we wouldn't have free will. The obedience to Him, uh, our world would just be a robot. It, everything would just be programmed and ordained just exactly by Him. Uh, it would be perfect and good, but there would be no free will and there would be no love. We can't truly love someone unless it's our choice. So the answer is God did not 
get create free will, but he did give us, God did not create evil, but he did give us free will, which gives us the ability to choose evil, which is oftentimes uh, against God's will all the time, I guess I should say. So that's the answer. All righty. Thank you, Toby. An interesting question here. A viewer wants to know, uh, what does the Bible say about children born out of wedlock? Uh, and actually, I've uh, sanitized that question a little bit. Our viewer actually uh, used a word that uh, if we had a beeper on this program, I guess we could bleep it out. But uh, the word, if you read in the King James Version, is bastard. And the viewer wanted to know what that meant and uh, why the Bible talked about that. Uh, in Deuteronomy 23.2, if you have a King James Version of the Bible, that word does appear. And it says, they shall, those uh, people shall not enter the uh, temple, the worship place of the Lord. Now, if you've got a more modern translation, uh, for instance, New International Version, translated this, translates it this way, no one born of a forbidden marriage. And that's a lot closer to what the original word meant. Uh, the original word meant mixed. And so what God was prohibiting, really, was somebody that married a foreigner. Jews were not supposed to marry any of the foreign nations around them. They weren't supposed to intermarry with the pagans. And if you did, then your child wasn't supposed to enter the temple uh, as a means of preventing that kind of intermarriage. Uh, the words used a couple of other places in the Bible, uh, referring to different things. Uh, in Hebrews 12:8, I believe it is, it talks about being true sons of God or illegitimate sons of God. Uh, so King James uses that word in there at all times, but it really means mixed. It means not a legitimate, uh, approved by God child. So. Uh, to answer the question, what does the Bible say about children born out of wedlock? Uh, nothing. Uh, really doesn't mention them, doesn't say anything about them except that old translation some people take as meaning children born out of wedlock. Uh, doesn't talk about them. Uh, certainly God is no respecter of persons and certainly we understand that a child born out of wedlock, uh, although may have some difficulties in this life because God's plan is best. Uh, mother and father married for life, having children is what God intended. Uh, there may be some difficulties there, but it's no fault of the child's. And we certainly shouldn't uh, discriminate them against in any way or uh, hold them accountable for that in any way. So the Bible doesn't talk about it, and that's the answer to your question. Next uh, question viewer wants to know about is what does the Bible say about tattoos and piercings? Uh, well, the verse is found in the Old Testament uh, that you'll probably want to reference. And actually, I've, uh, I misentered the scripture on here. It's found in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28. We'll read it. Uh, it says verse 18, but it's actually verse 28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. And so some people uh, say, well, there's a verse. And so tattoos are clearly forbidden by God and not allowed by Him and evil and uh, all sorts of things. And the, the problem with that reasoning is that it takes this verse and takes it out of context. The book of Leviticus was written primarily to the Levite priests and it had to do with how they, the conduct, how they served, how they acted, how they dressed, all of the rules 
given to them uh, for performing the uh, rites of uh, the Old Testament worship system. So to use that one verse in that context and apply it to everyone is not exactly being sincere and honest with the text and what it means. We say a lot on this program about the importance of context and understanding where that verse was written, why it was written, who it was written to, and what covenant it was written under. And that's the second part I want to bring up is that this is written under the Old Testament. We understand when we are in Christ, uh, we serve in the the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Uh, That Christ uh, entered in a new covenant. He didn't abolish the old one. He just fulfilled it because none of us could keep that perfectly. So we aren't bound by the rules that are set out in the Old Testament, and we certainly want to be honest with what covenant they're under and who they apply to. So, it's in the Bible. Does it apply toward us? No. So the question is, well, can I get a tattoo? Well, (laughs) that's a wisdom question there. And the reason is, is that, um, you know, a tattoo is a pretty semi-permanent decision, and it's going to remain on your body your whole life. So, absolutely want to give a lot of thought to it, uh, but there's no forbidding of it in the New Testament as such. So we just, in those areas, we want to be very wise and be careful uh, in our conduct. And that's the second verse I'll give you uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. Paul says, <clears throat> I have the right to do anything. He's quoting them. And he says, you, have, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So if you're weighing the decision whether to get a tattoo or not, I can't tell you that the Bible forbids it. I just can say that the Bible says, as with many things concerning Christian conduct, we ought to be very thoughtful and considerate of the message we're sending and uh, the message that we unintendedly may send to others. So be thoughtful about it. Use wisdom and discretion. All right. That was a discreet answer. Very well done. (laughs) All right. Let me take this moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we spend a little time studying the Bible with you each week. If you stick with us for the 30 minutes, we'll answer seven or eight or nine questions maybe, but uh, that's not a whole lot of the Bible. There's a lot more Bible and a lot more that applies directly uh, to your life than some of the interesting questions that we discuss here. So we've got some free Bible study materials that uh, will help you study the Bible. We advocate home Bible study. We think it's one of the best things we can do with our time is to sit down and spend some time in God's Word. And we also know that's a little hard for some folks to get started in Bible study. Uh, If you've never done that and don't have any background in Bible and weren't raised in a family that talked about the Bible and stuff, it's it's a little hard to get started and understand all of the things in there. So uh, we've got some tools that we're happy to send you. The first uh, series is on the screen right now. There are eight lessons in it. The first two are about the Old Testament and the New Testament. So get you started off right. Good way to learn about the Bible, get a little grounding there. And then we've got some more advanced courses that will take you through um, other topics in the Bible and books and a lot of detail about Jesus' life and all kinds of good courses. So uh, we can keep you studying the Bible for a while and it gives you an accountability. They come to you in the mail. You sit down with them and read your Bible and answer the questions. You'll learn a lot about the Bible. We've had uh, thousands of people over the years tell us how much they enjoyed it, how much they learned. If you'd like to know a little bit more about your Bible, all you got to do is use that phone number or website 
on the screen tell us you'd like that free course and we'll get it started for you. Great way to learn about the Bible. All right, viewers got a doesn't have a question here, just got an order for me. Uh, it says read Acts 2.38 and read Matthew 28.19 and then clarify that there is only one baptism. So, alright, we'll do exactly what our viewer wants. Uh, we'll read those two verses first and then I'll read one more verse and that'll answer the question. Those two verses, number Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And Matthew 28:19 says to go to all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right, obviously you can see the difference there. One says baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ, and the other one says baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All right, I've read the two verses. Now our viewer said, now clarify that there is one baptism. So let's read one more verse, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 6. Paul said, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to you all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. All right. There, I clarified that there is one baptism because the inspired Apostle Paul said there was one baptism. Uh, so, technically I've answered the question, I'm done. But somebody out there, especially the person that called in the question, probably says, hold it now. Uh, one of those verses says there's a baptism in the name of Jesus, and the other verse said there's a baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, let me try to illustrate for you here. Uh, suppose you're in your living room being peaceful and somebody knocks on the door and you say, who is it? And the voice on the other side says, open up in the name of the law. And you say, what? And they say, open up in the name of the sheriff. And you say, what? And they say, open up in the name of the laws of the state, of the state constitution. I've got authority. You open this door. Well, nobody's going to say, hold it now, which is it? That's three different open-ups. Which one do you want me to do? Because we understand it's all the same thing. This person is saying, open the door by the authority of the law, the sheriff, the Constitution, whatever. That's the authority you're doing this in. All right. Same thing with baptism. There, there are not two or three or four baptisms. There's one baptism. And one verse says you do it by the authority of Jesus. Another one says you do it by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, same thing. Uh, if I say you need to be baptized and you say, who says? Well, I could say, well, Jesus says. And Jesus commanded, go and baptize people. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said that. Well, but he said it by the authority of the Father. And he said it through the Holy Spirit. And they're one, and it's, it's all the same thing. It's just by the authority of divinity. Uh, that's what that means. It's not a formula that somebody has to say uh, when you baptize someone. It, it, there's not a set phrase, a little card that you pull out, and you have to read it exactly word for word right. Uh, that's not what that's about at all. There's one baptism. And you baptize people by the authority of Jesus or by the authority of the Father, by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, divinity, God said, 
to baptize people. So that's what that means. There's one baptism. Paul makes that abundantly clear. Uh, it's always amazed me that people actually fight and actually divide churches over this. Some people say, nope, you got to say these words. Some people say, no, you got to say these words. Absolutely, and that's what it's talking about. One baptism. All right, Toby. All right, this viewer says, I want a chronological list of the books of the Bible. <clears throat> well, as we don't have a lot of time on this program, and uh, you probably don't have the patience to listen to me actually list them all, what I'm going to ask you to do is get your uh, camera out, your digital camera or your phone camera, take a picture of your screen here in just a minute. I'm going to give you a list, uh, but you don't have time, and I don't, I'm not going to read through all of them, but this is... Uh, from an organization called Grace to You. Uh, it's a man-made list. There's um, Some of it, you just got to be speculation. That's why they give you a range on there on a lot of the books. But it kind of lists them in a, in a order of as generally thought that they were written. And uh, there are even actually uh, Bible reading plans that go through the, the order chronologically. Uh, there's lots of different... Um, plans that you can look up that will go through in this order. Um, and so that's interesting and helpful to know the timeline and where things are placed and understanding that the Bible as it's arranged is not arranged in chronological order. Uh, most people tend to think that Job was probably written about the time that the events in Genesis would have happened. So, you know, but in our, in our Bible as it's laid out, Job doesn't happen until much later. Well, chronological Bibles can help us get a little bit better picture of the timeline as as the whole uh, thing unfolds. There's a Bible I'd recommend to you. It's called the Chronological Bible, uh, the Daily Bible, in chronological order, rather. And it's edited by a gentleman by the name of F. Lagarde Smith. And we've used this Bible at Northside, and people found it very helpful to go through chronological order, and he takes a lot of the the repeated verses and things and lumps them all together and, and just it's edited masterfully. So if you would like to read through in chronological order, there's a Bible I would recommend and hopefully you took a picture of the screen. You can now know the chronological order of the Bible if that's helpful to you. Alrighty, I noticed that they had Genesis and Revelation in the right place there yep. on that. Order. Pretty much the same, and then, yeah. then in between it got a little <laughs> mixed, but uh, you're right, that's not essential to understanding the Bible. It is interesting to know mm -hmm. the, the timeline. That's one thing that uh, Smith's Bible does there, the Daily Bible. It really puts things in a timeline, a perspective, mm -hmm. and he writes a little introduction to each section and kind of gives you some history. So a lot of folks that read that told me they understood the Bible better than they ever had before mm -hmm. when, it's, when it's in a chronological order. But I don't think I'll bother memorizing those, <laughs> the chronological order. <laughs> All right, viewer wants to know about uh, Jesus and an angel. Was Jesus the angel who appeared to Abraham before destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, uh, quite possibly is my answer to that. Uh, the Bible... Uh, I hate to say it this way, but the Bible's not real strict about explaining uh, who the Lord is and who an angel is and all that. It tends to kind of intermingle all those, and the way I understand that is if an angel comes and gives me a message from the Lord, I could say it's the Lord told me. 
so sometimes a verse sounds like an angel's talking. Sometimes it sounds like the Lord's talking. And sometimes a little tricky to figure out. This one, I think, is probably a little easier than some and a little clearer than some. Uh, I've left out some of the middle verses, but I've put all the verses that apply together from Genesis 18. And this is the way it's told, the way the story goes. It says, the Lord, and when you see that term, that's referring to God and possibly Jesus. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Okay, so it says the Lord appeared, but what Abraham saw was three men. And then down in verse 35 it says the Lord left. And then in 19.1 it says the two angels went on to Sodom. So, sounds pretty clear from reading it that way uh, that there were three beings uh, appeared as men and one of them seemed to be the Lord and the other two seemed to be angels and the Lord talked to Abraham and then went away and then the two angels went on and did their business in Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, was that Jesus? Quite possibly. Some people interpret all appearances of uh, God on earth as being Jesus uh, in his pre-incarnate days, but divinity can take on a form if, if it wants to. Uh, so, reading the verses that way, uh, I'd answer, yeah, probably it was a, a form of Jesus or the Lord at least appearing to Abraham, and the other two were clearly identified as angels. But like I said, Bibles doesn't worry too much about that. Uh, if they're from heaven, they're all representing the Lord and uh, take it any way you want there probably. So probably viewers right. Take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Churches of Christ keep us on the air and uh, we produce this program for you. And a lot of folks support this program from different Churches of Christ in your area. Uh, we mention one or two each week that support the program. And occasionally we talk about the home church of Know Your Bible. Let me do that today. Uh, Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas is the home church where Toby and I both attend and worship. And uh, we've produced the program for many, many years. And uh, the folks there at <coughs> Northside generously support the program and uh, with the help of a lot of other folks. So uh, if you're in the Wichita area or just passing through sometime, drop in and see us some Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We worship. We'd be glad to meet you. Let me tell you about one program we've got at uh, Northside that's of interest to many in the community. It's Celebrate Recovery. A uh, great program been going on for a number of years and uh, has had great success and helped a lot of folks. It's uh, <clears throat> a program that's based on the Beatitudes, it's straight from the teachings of the Bible, that help people that have uh, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and that's just about all of us. So uh, stop by sometime Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. A great bunch of folks there, and they'll <clears throat> introduce you to the program, a good introductory thing on your first night to let you know what it's about. And if you're interested, you can keep coming back and get involved. If you're not, then uh, you don't have to come back. But a uh, good program, Celebrate Recovery, 7 o'clock Thursday nights at Northside. All right, Toby, what uh, your viewer interested yeah, in here? They want to know, uh, they've heard something, and they want to know if it's in the Bible. Does the Bible say... The Lord helps those who helps themselves, and uh, the answer to that is no, it's not in there. Uh, the principle, you might construe one or two verses together, and certainly the idea that uh, God is our help, first of all, 
and secondly that you know god does expect us to do something he he has things for us to do purposes for us to achieve work to be done and so forth but as far as the exact verse as you phrase it no that's not in the bible uh, there are lots of modern proverbs if you will wisdom uh, uh, that is are, are things that we might say that are true and helpful uh, but not necessarily in the Bible. Uh, one example I think of is early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, that was uh, penned by Benjamin Franklin, very helpful and useful, but, you know, not in the Bible and uh, not, not inspired directly by God. So uh, it's good that we understand the difference between our own Proverbs and uh, the wisdom literature found in the Bible. Of course, that wisdom is always true uh, universally for all times for all people. Let's look at uh, Psalm chapter 46, verses 1 through 3 together. The psalmist does say this, God is our ever is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging a good reminder that no matter what happens in life we can always trust in the Lord and put our hope and faith in him hope that helps you righty, thank you uh question about uh, congregational leadership. Viewer says if a congregation has two elders and one of them moves away, should the remaining one resign? Well, it may seem like an odd question to some of our viewers who attend a church that has a different kind of hierarchy or different kind of organization. Uh, but churches of Christ are pretty strict on this matter. We uh, all matters. We believe we follow the New Testament example. We just want to be a New Testament church and do what they did. Uh, so we are ruled congregationally uh, by elders or overseers or shepherds or a couple of other words that apply to those men. Uh, there's no other hierarchy above that. Uh, the local congregation, uh, our church at Northside, for instance, we have seven men that we've selected that the Holy Spirit has selected as elders and we yield to their uh, rule and their oversight and uh, that's how we do it. Now this viewer is asking a particular question, what if you only have one? Is that alright? Uh, what if one dies or moves away or something and you just left with one elder, should he still be an elder? Well the key verse there that since we follow the New Testament uh, we go by Titus 1 verse 5 and let's look at that on the screen. Uh, Paul told Titus, he said, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So the New Testament pattern that we see there uh, was Paul started the number of churches. There weren't any mature men, mature Christian men yet since they were all brand new Christians. And then a few years later he sent Titus around. He said, now you go and appoint elders in every congregation. Pick some leaders for them. Pick men that have shown themselves to be good leaders and uh, make them elders or overseers or shepherds. So since it's plural there, we believe every congregation ought to have a plurality of elders, at least two. And we think that's good common sense too. That's the way the world works. One leader can become a little autocratic or dictatorial or something. So a plurality of elders is how we believe it ought to work. So my answer to the question would be yes, probably. 
All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. In Samson's riddle, where was the honey? And the honey was hidden in a dead lion, believe it or not, the lion of a carcass, uh, the carcass of a lion, excuse me, and that's where the honeycomb was. We're glad you've been with us today. We hope you're going to come back next week and let us answer some more of your questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.